Well, good to be with you this morning. I appreciate it. It's always a good day when you get to baptize, don't you? Isn't it? You know, I, um, people will ask me sometimes, they'll say, well, you know, I'm not, uh, I mean, the question, I have guys sometimes a question, you're letting the dad baptize? Guys, there's nothing in Scripture that tells us we shouldn't. And uh, they met in homes in those days and that kind of thing like that. And, you know, we, we've made it a thing where you have to be ordained to be able to do that. And, and the truth of the matter is, I think the moment you have those children, God ordained you to raise those children the way you should, Ken. And, and uh, I, want you, I just pray for your home. I pray that there'll be a, a lot more of that happening here around this church. And, and I mean this with all my heart. I want to say this. If you've been coming a while and you're, you're, maybe you've never come to Christ or you've never joined the church, never been part of it, you've got questions, let me know. I'd love to sit down with you and talk with you about that. Let us know. Let Fred know. Let one of us know. We'd love to be able to talk to you about that too. And I want to encourage our, our small group leaders. I, I, I met with our, our deacons, and they're going to start visiting more and more and more. And I really encourage you during this time as an interim that if you see someone that's out, you know, get a hold of them. Like I said, let me know, and I'll call them too as well. But let's follow up. That's what the body does, okay? You know, I mean, come on. If your toe's hurting, you don't have to remind somebody else. Pretty much your brain will tell you your toe's hurting. So you come together as the body, and if someone's hurting, the whole body helps heal that and bring that together. So if there's something we can do, uh, if I can call someone or whatever, y'all let me know, okay? All right, this morning, built upon what we talked about the last couple weeks, we, we uh, went through Joshua 7 a couple weeks ago, just gave some warning signs of how we need to watch it as we go forward, you know, not to drop our guard and to realize that sin is really the issue that, that, that destroys us and tears us apart. You know, I mean, there in Joshua 7, there were 36 lives that were lost. It was because of the sin of one man that all of this happened. You know, and then, then we talked last week about on Mount Carmel, about seeing God's hand and about God bringing down his fire when we pray and what we need to do. But in order for that to happen, you know, uh, I, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago that uh, Charles Spurgeon once said, he said that uh, uh, you'll never get pure water from a rusty pump. You won't. You just won't. You, won't, you can't do that. And so what does it mean for us to be right before the Lord? So what I'm going to ask you to do this morning is just take a deep breath for a minute, okay? Just take a deep breath. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's going to be okay, I promise you. And I want us this morning to look at Scripture, look at what the Bible teaches at this point. And I want to ask us to be honest and vulnerable enough and open enough to dig deep and to really look inside of our hearts. You know, if we're going to be a church that's going to pray, we've got to purify our hearts and be ready. We've got to do this. We have to do this, okay? You know, I mean, the reason why we have heart attacks is because plaque builds up in our veins. Well, sometimes spiritual plaque builds up in our spiritual veins. And we have to deal with that and understand what that is. And we hide things that are deep within our spirit. And we think that they're over and they're really not. And so we have to walk through this. So Hebrews chapter 4 is a perfect stepping stone to what I want us to see in the future. As we go and try to build a culture of prayer, a culture of of, of really being honest before God, a culture of what it means to really walk with God. In Hebrews chapter 4, we're looking at what it means to dig deep, one's personal life and the impact of our hidden sin. Begin reading in verse 11 of chapter 4 of Hebrews. We're going to look at 11 through 13 in verse 16. It says, Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone falls according to the same example of disobedience. Now, I want to stop there for a moment. I want to, 
I'm going to ask you later on this week or this afternoon to go back and read this chapter earlier. The rest it's talking about is, is the fact that the, the, the Jewish people over and over again, if you look at the Old Testament, through cycles where they were right with God and then they began to bow down before false idols and they would do all this. And, and they wonder why their lives were in such turmoil all the time. It's because the only rest we will have is when we're right with God. When we're at peace with God. God created us. He made us who we are. And the only way we'll ever have that, that eternal rest. And that's what he's referring to. He's saying, look at this. Look at all this. Look at the past. Look at all the times that there was disruption. Because there wasn't honesty and openness and peace. So the peace comes from the heart of God. And by the way, let me say this to you too, guys, as well. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Anytime you deal with really creating peace, you're going to have conflict within yourself. Or you may have a conflict that you have to deal with with someone else because you did something you shouldn't have done or said something you shouldn't have said or whatever it is. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is the presence of God. Guys, you can have peace in the middle of a war raging around you. And I promise you, in our world, that war is going to rage more. What we're looking for is joy. Joy. Look at your neighbor and say, I want you to have joy. Come on, tell them that. I want you to have joy. Now, I want you to give me your best joy look right now. Come on. I want to see your best joy look. Come on, give it to me right now. What does joy look like? Come on, Fred. Come on, give me some, some teeth there, buddy. There you go. Yeah. Come on there. There you go. But what is it? What is joy? Joy is not happiness. Happiness is determined by circumstances. You're happy when you smell the leather of a new car, at least for the first month until you get the payment, right? You're happy when you experience and get stuff. Joy is God pouring his heart through your heart, and it doesn't matter what happens around you. There's this sense of just, just peace within you. That's what it is. Guys, the world keeps seeking for new ways to create happiness. And God says, I, don't want, I, I want you to be happy, but your happiness, true happiness, only flows through joy. 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 Come on, you ever seen someone who had cancer and they just had a perpetual smile on their face because they had the joy of Christ in them? They had the promise of God in them? You ever been through a tough time and you just felt God's presence in the middle of all that? I remember the night that that, that uh, Debbie gave birth to Kara, and we didn't know if both of them were going to die. And I remember sitting outside that room before anyone told me anything when she miscarried Kara into that bedpan. Just like I told you the story a couple months ago, I remember standing outside of there, and I took a deep breath, and there was this peace of God just came over me in the middle of that. There's joy, eternal joy. Because peace is not the absence of conflict. It is the eternal, joyful presence of God alive in us. Come on, we can put on a show, can't we? We can smile, look like a really, everything's going great. We're miserable inside. God wants to give us joy. That's what he's saying. I want to give you rest. I want to give you peace. So how does that come? It comes when we're honest before God. So what does he say? He says, for the word of God. Let's stop there for a moment. The word of God. Now, is he talking about the Bible itself? Yes, but in those days, they, they, they had parchments. They didn't have the word mass manufactured the way we do. So anytime he talks about the word of God, he's not just talking about the what. That is the actual word itself, 
Listen to me carefully. He's talking about the who. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was with God. And the Word became what? And did what? Dwelt among us. He's, he's celebrating. He's saying, and the word of God, which has been revealed to you, not just through a teacher sharing you with this, even though this is powerful and it is, it is necessary. He's saying, the word of God that was revealed to you through Christ himself, who exposed himself, gave himself to us and exposed to us all of history and showed us what it was. A, what it was. He said, I fulfilled the law. I completed this. Guys, Christianity is not about giving our assent to a set of what. It is the introduction and relationship with the who, who gives us joy, who lives inside of us and said, I will not leave without giving you the comforter, myself, the Holy Spirit, big H, big S, alive in you. Look at your neighbor and say, you're alive. Come on, look like it. Fred, give me some smile again. Come on. You're alive. You know why? Because the word of God, the who, manifests himself through us every day, everywhere we go. We're not, we've given, we've tried to make Christianity into this dry set of rules and regulations and and, and, and all of that, these mystical concepts, and what it really comes back is the reason why this word is alive is because he is alive in us. He's alive. So he, he sets the standard of authority here when, when he says to us, for the word of God is living and powerful. The word there for living is where we get the word miraculous from. That means literally that as the word is spoken, he brings about miraculous things. He spoke and the world came into being. That's what he's saying. The word of God is living, it's miraculous, and it's powerful. It's the same word that's used in Hebrew, I mean in Acts chapter 1, when it talks about the word, it's the word dunamis, or we get the word dynamite from. So get that picture. Explosive power. Miraculous power. The word of God in us. That's why Jesus said, greater things that I, should have, I have done than you will do also in my name because I abide in you. Let's claim that life that we have in Christ. He says the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, that's a beautiful picture. I want you to catch this for a moment with me, okay? What I'm saying here. When he says it's sharper than any two-edged sword, that word there, that concept there of two-edged sword, it has two basic meanings, okay? First of all, it means an implement for battle. What did Jesus do? How did he fight off Satan when Satan tempted him? What did he use to fight him off with? Someone tell me. Scripture, the word. So what he's saying here is, my word, because it's manifested through truth of who I am as Christ living in you. He is saying to us that that in itself is an implement for battle. And the, and the picture here that it's giving is in those days when men would go into battle, they would have these big swords that might weigh 25 pounds and they would, these huge men would go and swing these swords back and forth. And if you can get this picture of us going into spiritual battle with the sword of God, that's what, that's what he's saying, but, he go, but it actually has another meaning to it. It doesn't just mean an implement for battle. It also means a scalpel for your soul. Let that sink in for a moment. 
So what is he saying here? He's saying that Jesus, the Bible says, the great physician, right? The greatest doctor to ever live. That this word is an implement for battle because it is truth and it will always overcome. Light kills darkness, right? And this, Bible, this, this word is the revelation of light into dark world, right? He's saying, I can give you victory as an implement for battle. But first, look at this. Listen to me. This is what we ignore. First, you must place yourself into the word, truth itself, and let the holy physician, Jesus Christ, take his word and cut away anything in our lives that are not of him that would hinder his winning the battle through us. You ever sketch something before? You ever put something, a piece of white paper over a dark, something outline and sketched it? That's literally what he's saying. He's saying, my word is the outline of truth of what I want you to live. And, and as I want you to put yourself in that word. And if there's anything that's outside that outline, I will cut it away. And yes, it will be painful at first. But I promise you, you will be healthy. It's like, it's like saying you've got cancer in yourself, but you'll just live with it. When it's early stages and you know that they could take it out. He's saying, you've got cancer in you and in us and it is sin. And as long as you leave it and keep playing with it, it will keep destroying you. And you will never experience the peace that God wants for you. Because he wants to cut it away. Let me give you a truth here. Write this down and remember this. Remember this, guys. I, I, that word will never become an implement for battle in your life until first it becomes a scalpel in your soul. It will never become an implement for battle in your life until first you have laid yourself into it and allowed God to cut anything away that is there that should not be there. The word was given to us to reveal to us Christ himself, at the same time, it was given to us to reveal the boundaries of how we are supposed to live so we can experience the peace and joy of our Father. You see, the world says, no, do whatever you want to and just tell God, come on, you gotta, you, you, you know, we make a God in our own image and God says, no, I will never be made in your image. I created you, you didn't create me. He says, the word of God is living and powerful. And sharper than any two-edged sword. And then here's what he says. He says, it's the sword, it pierces even the division of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow. That's called parallelism in scripture. And what he's talking about is, is that he gives a physical reality in the, to teach a spiritual reality. And what he's saying is, is it's kind of like this. Get this picture. He's saying, I'm going to take my scalpel, my word, and if you will open yourself up, all those caverns that you've held on to all those years, I will cut to the deepest part of who you are. It's interesting that he uses the phrase, he says, joints and marrow. He don't just say bone and marrow. He says joints and marrow. You know why? I was reading John Piper on this, and John Piper made an interesting analogy. He said the hardest part of the bone to cut through is your joint. 
It's the most dense part of your bone. And what he is saying is, is if you will let God cut away, he can cut away the hardness of our heart, no matter how hard our heart is. He can cut away the most difficult things in our life. He can, he can reveal them and heal them and bring healing to us. And it doesn't matter. You see, if you, and, and think about this. If we cut the middle of my leg right here, in the middle of my leg would be the bone. In the middle of that bone would be this, this red stuff. And it's the marrow of my bone. Now, now, I'm not a, a biology major, but I think I'm, I'm right here. The, 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 what's housed in our marrow is our immune system. Red blood cells, all this kind of stuff, it's, it's in there. But what's housed in our marrow is our, is our immune system. Think about this for a moment. Your ability to fight off physical infection is directly related to how strong your, your physical marrow is. Is that true, yes or no? If your marrow is weak, then your immune system is going to be weak. Is that true, yes or no? This is yes, this is no, this is I'm not sure, okay? Yes, that would be true, right? Then listen to this. If that is true, then our ability to fight off spiritual temptation is directly related to the strength of our spiritual marrow. In other words, the reason why we keep going back to the same place and suffering the same thing is because deep within our heart we have not hidden the word in our God, who uh, hidden the word of God in our hearts. The Bible says so we will not sin against Him. Our spiritual marrow is weak because we have not built it up. So the Bible says to build up the outer part of man gives you some benefit, but the real benefit is to build up the inner part of man. If our spiritual marrow is weak. You're always going to be susceptible to falling. And it exists in the very, look at me. Our spiritual marrow exists in the deepest part of who we are. In places of our lives that maybe nobody else knows. Maybe only your best friend or your spouse. But there's hidden parts of our life that we have to deal with. We have to. Because the picture of integrity is that we are the same in the dark as we are in the light. And God exposes the heart, who we really are. That's what he says. He says, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of what? The what, what's it say? The who, the what? The heart. The heart is the depth of who we are. He's saying, through all of this, by diving in and letting them, God will expose and open us up to the very thoughts. Guys, I've been reading Proverbs this summer over and over again. Look sometime, how many times in Proverbs it talks about intentions. In fact, it doesn't talk about the action as much as it does the intentions. Because, you see, we can do the right thing the wrong way. We can do it to try to manipulate and get our way. He, see, God's not just interested so much in the actions as he is the intentions because if the intentions are pure, the actions will be pure. It goes back to the depth of our soul, of who we really are. And here's what he says. He says, and there's no creature hidden from his sight. That's a scary thought, isn't it? That God knows everything about us. He knows the deepest parts of who we are. He knows the darkest times in our life. He knows the hidden thoughts. He knows everything about us. Come on. Does that not scare you? It scares me. 
I told someone the other day, I look at this generation now and everybody's filming everything. I am so glad they didn't have video cameras when I was 18 years old. Because I don't want my kids to, to have seen what I was like at 18 years old. I mean, seriously, these people are doing all this videotaping. You're going to be burning it up when your kids get to your age and they're going to say, Mom and Dad, didn't you do it? Uh, no. Well, I saw a video of you doing it. You see, it's, it's like God knows, he does know everything about us, doesn't he? He says, and what does he say? He says, but all things are naked and open to the one whom we must give an account. Who is the one that we have must give an account? The one is Christ himself. Now, I want you to listen to this. That word there for naked, or maybe where I came from, naked. It don't matter. It just means ain't got no clothes on, right? <laughs> Either way. But here's what the word literally means. There's four basic meanings for that word in Scripture. And here's what he's really saying. I want to get the, the picture here of what he's saying. First of all, First of all, it means to expose the neck for execution. When they would take an animal and they would, they would take the animal and lay it down as a sacrifice, they would expose the neck. And that's, that, that's where they would slice and bleed out the animal. You know, you, you wouldn't want to expose your neck because if you did, you're exposing yourself to, to something, things you might not want to face. But it has a second meaning. Come here, man. Are you a wrestler? Coach wrestling. You coach wrestling. That's what I thought. Here's a second. Got, got something for you here. Here's what it means. It's a wrestling term. Okay? Don't, don't take me down here, okay? All right? But here's what it literally means. It means that God grabs hold of your face, and he forces you to look at him eyeball to eyeball. You feeling uncomfortable yet? A little bit. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Say it. it that's, that's, that's what it means. Have you, how many of y'all have read 1 Corinthians chapter 13? Read before, the love chapter. How many of y'all have ever noticed that little phrase at the very end of 13 when it says that we look through a glass dimly now, but in that day, what day? The day when we must give an account to God, that's what he's talking about, we will look at him how? Face to face. That's what the word means. Thanks, man. It means we cannot hide. We will look at him face to face. Number three, Number three, how many of y'all like to deer hunt? Y'all like to deer hunt here? Y'all like to deer hunt here? Have y'all ever, ever field dressed a deer? You ever done this before? Here's, here's what it means, okay? It means to fillet an animal. In other words, to cut the outer layer off to expose what's underneath. So what he's saying is God is cutting off the outside because the facade that we show to everyone else is not the facade that God knows. God knows the depth. Because he has the ability to cut beyond that through his word of truth and see what's really there. You know, it reminds me when I was in college, Debbie and I just got married, my last semester of college, and I caught about a five-pound bass one time, Fred, and we were, and, and I thought to myself, I thought, man, I can take this thing, Debbie and I can eat on it for two days. And I didn't I catch many five-pound basses, okay? And I, I took this thing home, and I started to clean it, I started to skin it. When I, I've never seen this before. When I started taking the outer skin off, the meat underneath had worms in it. It was filthy. It was beautiful on the outside. You could have put that fish up on your wall. But the moment I started taking the skin off, the meat was useless. That's what he's saying is. We can all put on a facade. And in the book of Acts, they call it a whitewashed wall. It's like putting Bondo on a car and trying to fool everybody to think that it's really... That it's metal. That's why, isn't that why that guys who buy cars take magnets with them to the sales? So they can make sure that it's not Bondo? 
You can take the best Bondo guy ever, but it's not going to catch with that magnet. Okay? Number four, in those days, when they would take someone to execution, what they would do is they would line the streets with their accusers, their, their, the moms and dads and children and family members and friends who would line the streets that they had robbed and stolen from and they killed their family members. And, and what they would do is they would tie their hands behind their back and they would tie a leather strap to their neck and they would put a dagger right here to their neck and they would walk them through the street and they would force them to look at their accusers eyeball to eyeball. You ever noticed that when they take someone out of a police car on TV and start running them inside, the first thing they do is this? They're hiding themselves. What he's saying is we cannot hide. We think we got all this figured out. We can, we can act one way and really be another. And No, 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 no. We can't. The Bible says to be hot or cold but not lukewarm or he'll spew you out of his mouth. I'll explain that further, exactly what that means later on in a, another sermon. But basically, guys, he's saying that we will stand before God and we will give an account for all that we have. Bring up the next part of this. Go ahead and bring it up. What we give account for? Well, first of all, our sins of thought. It starts in our mind. It starts here. Right here. It starts right, next thing, our sins of thought. Go ahead. And then what it does is it creates sins of a defeating attitude. Our attitudes stink sometimes because our thought processes and who we are, we've allowed in here. That's where envy starts, isn't it? That's where anger starts, isn't it? Come on. That's where you look at people and think that's not fair, right? We, we, we let those things get in. We start worrying about our, our privileges and our preferences rather than what's better for the whole picture, Right? Come on, it's true. Because I've been in ministry 35 years. I've seen people fight over every little thing you can. I have. I remember, I mean, y'all, some of y'all remember this, when they started using tape music years ago. They called it canned music. People were leaving churches like crazy because they're not using real music. They're using it canned music, and it's terrible. You know, I, I, that is the absolute most chicken fried stupid thing I've ever heard in my life. It is. Who cares? Because it's, look, look, look at me, listen to me. I'm going to say this again. It is not about us. It never has been. It never will be. The first day that God asks any of us our opinion, let me know. We'll all come to you. Because he has never asked me my opinion. He has given us his opinion in the word. For he is the fulfillment of that word in us. And he has earned the right to be Lord of our life. Let him do it. Sins of thought. Sins of attitude. Next one. Sense of speech, because what happens, what comes out of our mouth, the Bible teaches, is a reflection of what's alive in our heart. So we speak what's really in here. The things we say about people, to people, you know, the things that we say when we get angry and all the other stuff that we do, the speech, and we say, well, you know, I mean, come on, guys, I've been Baptist a long time. You know, you know, there's a Baptist telegraph, you know. You know, you, you, that, that whole thing is, you know, you, you just... You know, you used to be everybody get on the telephone. Now everybody gets on the internet. And they all send texts. Guys, no. Our words matter. They hurt people. Guys, God is the only one that can pass judgment. 
He has called us to be his hands and feet in this world. Next, sins of broken relationships because as we speak, we break those relationships. And some of us are carrying broken relationships with us right now. And we're waiting for that person to come to us and we're saying to ourselves, you know, well, they hurt me, they should come to me. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says if you're laying down before the Lord and going to bring a prayer before him, and Matthew's, what does it say? It says you go of that person that you know has something against you and you try to speak to them. You know why Jesus didn't say, you know, if, if you have a problem with someone else? Because he knows all of us are too prideful to admit we ever have a problem. Is that not true? But we know when we have a problem with someone else. Go take care of it. That's what the body is supposed to do. Sins of relationships. I heard this, my pastor preach one night on this, and he said, if you have a broken relationship with someone, you should go talk to them right now. And God laid on my heart, Buddy. Buddy was a guy I played high school football with. It had been four years since I graduated. I knew where Buddy lived. He married one of my good friends, Sherry. God just convicted me, and I had to leave right then. I said, Mom, I got to go. And I walked out the back door, and I went to Buddy's house. I knocked on the door. I hadn't seen Sherry in years. Knocked on the door and said, Sherry, where's Buddy at? And I went to the backyard. And I, I went to, back there, and I said, Buddy, I said, I know this sounds crazy. I said, but I just want you to know, Buddy, I am so sorry. Man, I hated you in high school. You abused me when we, we, he broke his leg and I took his place and he came back and treated me horribly and I didn't like him and I talked about him and it was awful and everything like that. I couldn't stand him. I said, buddy, would you please forgive me? I'm so sorry. He says, Dave, no, it's no problem, man. Dude, it's okay. Six months later, buddy's brother committed suicide. Buddy, through that process, received Christ. He came to me about three years later. I, I, when he was ordained as a deacon, I sent him a letter telling how proud I was of him. And he came to me later on. He says, you know that day you came to my yard? I said, yeah. He said, I thought you were nuts. <laughs> he said, but now, through the power of the Spirit of God, I understand exactly why you were there, and thank you for coming. Guys, it not only brought healing to him, it brought healing to me. Sins of broken relationships. How about this? Of intentional commission that means when we just continue to commit the same sins over and over again. The next one, next one, omission, sins that we just omit. We don't pray. We don't read our Bible. We don't spend time with the Lord. We don't, we don't, we don't do those things. We don't share faith. Th things that we know the Scripture teaches us to do, but we omit them. And what does that lead to? At least finally to sins of self-rule and self-reliance. I want to close today by giving you an example real quickly of what I mean, what I've been talking about. I know you've been wondering what this towel and all this was up here for today. Well, you're about to learn. Because here's what I'm talking about. Just imagine for a moment this is us. The Bible says to be filled with the Spirit of God, right? We're supposed to be filled up with the Spirit of God, amen? We're supposed to be walking, but in order to be filled with the Spirit, you've got to empty yourself first. If you're so, we're so full of ourselves and all of our stuff that we're packing around, then what happens here is simply this, is that we have no room for God. And I've told you this before, but God will not compete with us over the allegiance of our life. So here's what happens. When we ask God to fill us up, he will fill us up. In this mode, we are able to serve the Lord stronger than ever before. It's the only thing being filled with the Spirit of God that we're able to experience the power of God, to walk with God. Less of us, more of him. He must increase, I must decrease. But here's the problem. The problem is we let sin begin to enter in. 
Put those sins back up there again. Go back there. Go back one second. Those things right there. Sins of speech. Broken relationships. Arrogance. Pride. Lust. Sins that destroy us. And what happens is before long, We're empty because we've let that sin steal away the very thing we need for life. And here's the saddest part to me is that in our arrogance and pride, we will spew out our sin on the ground and tell the Lord, I know what I'm doing, God. But we don't. We take his precious anointing and we abuse it. And here's the problem. We're empty and we don't know it. We're powerless and we wonder why. We're hurting and we're miserable. And that's not what God meant for us. Bring up the last part of this, last slide. How should we respond to God? We should come boldly to the throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us, to fill us, to empower us. It's never been about us. It's about him. It is. And God has such great desires for this church, for us individually. He does. But we must empty ourselves. We must be willing to confess that which is holding us down. And we must be willing to repent and turn away from that and turn to him and receive the forgiveness that God will give us. Those sins I put up there earlier will continue to destroy us. But Brother Wheeler, Wee, you don't know. You don't know how people have hurt me in my life. No, I don't. I know I've been in ministry 35 years. And I know how I've been treated. I know how my wife's been treated from time to time. I could tell you stories all day long. But guys, I can't Stop someone else from doing what they do. But what I can do is get right myself so that the way I react hopefully helps them come closer to Christ. You want to build a body here in Rocky Mount? You build it with a healthy body that's prayed up, broken, repented, forgiven, admitted. See, some of us this morning need to come up this aisle and which time we surrender, we join the church. You follow Madison and get baptized just like she did. Stop looking off in the, in the direction someplace else, guys. Please listen for a moment. Don't let Satan rob this moment. Please. Some of us need to take that step. It's time. You know it is. We need to come to Christ. Some of us have been holding on to things for a long time. And it's time that we get before our faces before God. And we admit that to him. You're not too old to do that and you're not too young to do that. Some of us 
need to walk across the aisles because we need to find brothers and sisters that maybe we've offended or didn't know or we knew something was wrong and we need to go take care of that. We need to tell them we love them because you, the body cannot be healthy if it's against itself. Do you know the very nature of my wife's disease is that her body attacks itself? I've watched her body ravage against itself for 26 years now. I've watched too many churches do the same. The only way we ever have peace is when we open ourselves up and let the word of God bring the healing salve of the Holy Spirit fill us up and we are right with him. That's it. That's what it takes. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads as we get ready for the invitation. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. And I beg you this morning, please, even if you're up here playing, whoever it is, I'm, I'm just asking you, come. Come. Just kneel together as a church and say it's time that I get real with you, God, and I get right with you. Well, people will know that something's wrong if I come. Well, guess what? If all of us join this and come together, it won't matter because, let me, get, let me expose a little secret here. People already know there's things wrong with us because there's wrong, things wrong with humans because we're born in a state of, you know, a sinful state, guys. That's it. Let's stop being prideful. Let's surrender. Tell him this morning, oh, Heavenly Father, take my life and make it what you want it to be. God, I give you rule and reign and lordship over my life. God, take your scalpel and cut away anything that's not of you. Some of us need to walk across the aisles and others need to walk up. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray you'll lead this invitation. I pray, God, this morning that you will bring us to a holy moment of repentance and healing and peace and faith to let your mercy so flow God, that we would sense and know that you're here with us. This morning, God, I believe there are people here this morning. You've brought here by your sovereignty, Lord, because you know that they need to hear and need. Father, I, oh God, please forgive us of our sin. Touch us, God. Draw us to yourself. Empty us of ourselves that you may fill us up. Let us be a body, a church body that is united one together and one purpose to glorify you and one mission to take your gospel to the ends of the earth beginning right here in Rocky Mount that every one of us would sacrifice whatever it takes Father take our focus off of ourselves and put it totally on you that your light may shine in every crevice of our life and reveal anything that needs healing because God we need to be honest we need to let your scalpel do what it needs to do to expose truth and bring healing to all of us. Please, Father, touch us now. Lead this invitation, Father. For you're speaking to any heart here today. I pray they will respond to you right now, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand.